Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellers Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled, The Manifold Wonder of Grace. Grace is a word that has become synonymous with a big, fluffy, grandma-like hug. Yet, while grace does embrace us and heals the scars that our sin had left, that is just one fold in the garment of grace. There is layer upon layer of all that grace is and all that grace does. And above all the beauties of grace, the most beautiful is that Christ himself is the fullness of the gift of grace. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The manifold wonder of grace. The word manifold. It's an interesting word because the concept is many folds. So if you had a garment and it had many folds in it, it's like if you stretched it out, it's actually a lot bigger than you can see at first glance. There's a lot more fabric there. But the actual word is going to mean a variegated shading of coloring. And so it's actually a depth and a richness of hues and shades of color. And this is the word that is oftentimes used to describe our God, his wonder, but also It's used to describe grace. Now, grace, as far as a concept in the modern church, it's a favorite term. There's certain terms that are positive terms. There's certain terms that are sort of outlawed, and we don't don't use those terms around here. And grace is actually a favorable term in Christianity today, and which, if I were to be blunt honest with you, it's because it's been redefined. That's how it's become favorable. The church today in America is actually not doing very well. We're limping. One of the reasons is because of what you're going to hear in this message. We've lost the power and the majesty and the ability of grace. We've redefined the term. For most of us, if I was going to just lay out a little query or a quiz for our souls and we were to say, what does grace actually mean? Well, We'd have some of you that grew up in Sunday school that would give an answer like this. Well, it means unmerited favor. And I wouldn't say that you were wrong. I would say that what you have is one little crease of a massive garment. It's one little fold of many folds. And as a result, it's not that your answer is incorrect. It's that you're missing something more that is revealed in Scripture. When you're dealing with manifolds, you're dealing with something that is far greater than most of us can comprehend. Okay, let's just say it this way. All of us can comprehend. So when we talk about the manifold person of God, you know that you cannot just stare square at God and understand all of who he is. He is so massive. And so what has happened is the manifold wonder, majesty, and perfection of God has been made sort of bite-sized for us in the person of Jesus Christ where we can behold God in the person of Christ. It's an amazing attribute. But to fully understand Christ, when we go through the, just the names of Jesus revealed in Scripture, it takes 11 minutes without pause, never repeating any of his names. That's how many names there are of Christ. And they all reveal, the different, they all reveal a different element or fold of his person. Okay, so when we're dealing with grace, we need to understand that it is one attribute of God, his person. He is a God of grace. Well, technically, he's a God of all grace. So if there's grace, it comes from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. He's the God of all of it. And grace is a work of God. It is power. It is life. It is that which God does. 
To limit it down to being merely a hug around the shoulder of a sinner is a massive crime. As you will see in this message, it is the most important attribute, potentially, of the entire Christian diet. And so we must understand this concept. So the manifold wonder of grace. First, the distortion of grace. We see this in Jude 1.4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. These are men that have crept into the church and are distorting things about the church. Doctrine, words. Words in the church are of extreme importance. When the enemy messes with Christianity, he starts by messing with the words and the vocabulary. Because if he can redefine the vocabulary, we come to different conclusions of God's intent. So it says... They're ungodly men. And what did these ungodly men do? They turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. I know, lasciviousness is not a word that typically we walk down the road and just use. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is the concept of a license to sin. It's like, hey, God doesn't care. I can live any way I want. There's grace. It's ungodly men that turn the grace of God into a license to sin. It's not what the Bible does, as you will soon see. The Bible doesn't do this. However, we've grown up in a church that's done that. And so I I can live any way I want. And someone says, "How how do you justify that? I live under grace. Well, that's actually not what grace is. But somehow we have turned the grace of God into a license to live any way we want. Grace does not just cover sin. God is a God that is righteous. He's perfect in his justice. Therefore, though he may love us, he cannot just save us from our sin without a just and equitable payment for that sin. You cannot remove the work of grace in the gospel of grace. It's not just God saying one day, it's just like, you know what, I feel sorry for you. Here, you come into my kingdom too. God had to justly deal with our crime, which is what the cross is. The cross is his work of grace. Bringing back the gusto. Now, most of us, if we were to conclude what the gospel is, we would stop sort of at this, half the story. This is the gospel of grace, says Brennan Manning. A God who, out of love for us, sent the only son he ever had wrapped in our skin. He learned how to walk, stumbled and fell, cried for his milk, sweated blood in the night, was lashed with a whip and showered with spit, was fixed to a cross, and died whispering forgiveness on us all. You know, you have to admit, that's a pretty incredible story. He died whispering forgiveness on us all. And he says, this is the gospel of grace. He has a whole book about it called the Ragamuffin Gospel, which, by the way, I wouldn't recommend. However, the gospel of grace has been emptied of its power. It's been emptied of its ability to change our lives. You see, we're not changed here. We're just forgiven, which is why we have bumper stickers that say, just forgiven. No, we're not just forgiven. But let's finish the story. And then this son of God rose again was exalted above every name and every authority, and at Pentecost gave himself in power to his disciples that they might be made holy and become true pictures of the triumph of grace to the glory of God. And once again, the Son is wrapped in human skin. This is the complete gospel of grace. We don't end it just at the cross. 
The cross purchased us the avenue with which we could enter into the throne room of grace. It's just the beginning. What exactly is grace? Well, I'm going to go through, as we're going to see, many folds of grace. Well, grace is an action, a superheroic action, but it is more than an action. Grace is a power, an extreme power, but it is more than a power. Grace is a mercy, an extreme mercy, but it is more than a mercy. Grace is a kindness, an unmerited kindness, but it is more than kindness. Grace is a virtue, an exemplary virtue, but it is more than a virtue. Grace is a historic event, an event that is central to all history, but it is more than a historic event. Grace is a gift, an unspeakable gift, but it is more than a gift. Grace is a work, a legal work of atonement, propitiation, justification, redemption, forgiveness, and adoption, but it is more than a legal work. Grace is a life, a quickening, transforming life, but it is not an impersonal life. Grace is more than an action, a power, a mercy, a kindness, a virtue, an event, a gift, or a legal work. Brace yourselves. Grace is a person. Well, that just put a little twist on this whole thing, didn't it? Grace is Jesus Christ. The loving action, the unstoppable power, the extreme mercy, the unmerited kindness, the exemplary virtue, the unspeakable gift, and the perfect rescuing work of God upon the cross. The historic event of all historic events. Grace is the abundant life of God made available in the person of Jesus Christ. For most of us, we look at the concept of grace as being a concept or a, a gush of emotion. It is not a gush of emotion. Jesus is the gift of grace. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is the one who rescues. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. Yet who's your savior? His name's Jesus. He is the gift of God. He is the unmerited favor. He is God condescending. And though we were sinners, he loved us and sought out our rescue. He is the work. He is the one who did the work. He is the rescue. He is the virtue of heaven come to earth perfectly exemplified in and through his sinless life. And then he is the grace of God once again given into us to live in us, called the Spirit of Christ, Christ in us. And then that virtue is made manifest. That life comes to life within us. Grace. So you have all the attributes of God. And you have his rescuing outward propulsion to save us. And this is grace. But in and in that great manifold work of grace, there are so many dimensions to it that we're going to explore in this message. Because it's more than just the work of the cross. We say, that's grace. Well, we'd be right. It is grace. But grace is more than just the work of the cross, as you will see. Oh, look at this last one I just put up there. Jesus is grace. The unspeakable gift. Do you guys know who the unspeakable gift in Scripture is? His name is Jesus Christ. But listen to this, and you're going to see the word grace and gift worked together quite often. But not as the offense, so also as the free gift. 
For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the gift of the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So if I were to ask you, who is the righteousness of God? We would say, well, that's Jesus Christ. Who is the love of God? Well, that is, I mean, God is love, but who is the expression of the love of God? Well, that's Jesus Christ. Well, who is the grace of God? Well, I mean, that's different. Well, who made it different? It's Jesus. It's the extension of God, the expression of God, the life-giving power of God expressed in a man, but not just any man, a divine man, God Almighty in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the annunciation of grace. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? It's, it's, it's grace in this concept. The grace that is given that saves you is the gift of God. Well, you know who else is called the gift of God? Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So Paul says that he was made a minister according to this gift of the grace of God. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Unwrapping the gift. It's not the box, it's what's inside the box. A lot of us understand the word grace, at least in a basic sense. And we know that we're saved by it. We know good doctrine. However, who is the Savior of the world? It's Jesus. It's a person. It's not an emotion. It's not a gush of something from God. It's him that saves. You are saved by grace through faith. And so when you understand that you're saved personally, you're not just saved by some gush or ooze of power or some virtue out there. You're saved by Jesus And he, or grace, is the gift of God. But then, what we see, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given the living water. So who is the gift of God? It's Jesus. He even calls himself that. I am the gift of God. So even in the concept or the context of all the New Testament, you have Jesus himself defining himself as the gift of God, which is also called grace. Jesus is God's unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ. So we have a box. So we could call it a red box, you know, with nice wrapping paper on it. And it's a gift. However, what's inside that gift known as grace? the red box of grace. It's a person. You don't get all excited about the box. You get excited about what's in the box. When you're given a gift, it's that which the gift is. Truly defined as what's inside, not just the box. Oh yeah, I received a red box last Christmas. No, you received a gift last Christmas, but the gift is not just the box. That's just the box. That's the holding place. Grace is a term, is a word to describe a mighty work. A person, 
a virtue, an action, an event. All of this, the gospel of grace, is caught up in this word or this box. But inside the box, who pops out? Jesus. He is the gift of God. Grace in the Old Testament, the foreshadow of the gift to come. So in the Old Testament, well, you know how we have that definition of uh, unmerited favor? Because some of you are saying, yeah, that's the definition, isn't it? Isn't that the definition of grace? Well, let me explain where that comes from, because it's not that it's wrong that grace is unmerited favor. But where does it come from? It comes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, grace in the Old Testament is not a very common word. Okay, it's not used extensively. It is just a word, but it's a foreshadow of something to come. The entire Old Testament, if you are discipled here at Ellerslie, you know. Everything in the Old Testament leads to a man named Jesus, and it leads to the work of the cross. Everything aims to it. It's like a big road sign that flashes. Everything in the New Testament flows out of that great event and that great work of, of Jesus Christ. So grace in the Old Testament is a foreshadow. It's It is a roadmap to the one who is coming, who, by the way, is the gift, who, by the way, is grace incarnate. So the word is hain. I've always called it chen, and then I decided to listen to the pronunciation guide for it, and it turns out to be hain. Or actually, let me get this right, hain. It has that nice Hebrew CH, you know, thing, hain. Which means favor and acceptance, unmerited favor. Okay, so there is something that the Old Testament begins to foreshadow, to prophesy about, saying there is an unmerited favor that is going to come to the people of this earth. They don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. However, God has chosen to redeem those that are lost, and he is going to express his grace. Well, who's coming? Who's it prophesying about? Who is this grace? Who is this unmerited favor? It's not a gush of emotion from God. It's a person. Grace is coming, and his name is Jesus. So here's in the Old Testament. We have, surely he scorns the scorner, scorneth the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly. We see that in the New Testament. It says he resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. Okay? It's the same concept. It comes from Proverbs 3. Okay? So grace is going to be given to the lowly. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So God has come to to bring Israel into his rest, which is the concept of the promised land. Okay, so any Ellerslie student should be very sharp on this, to recognize that when we were caught in the wilderness, what did we need? We needed grace to enter into that rest. That's the foreshadow that we have. Of course, that's Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus that led the Israelites into the land of promise, into their rest. And then we see Zechariah 4.7. Grace is mentioned. Zerubbabel is the key character in this. However, God is talking not about Zerubbabel, the, the actual king. He's talking about Zerubbabel to come. And if you study Zechariah, you'll understand that very quickly. Zerubbabel was an actual historic character in Israel. He was of the kings of Judah. And so he was of the very line of Jesus Christ and David. And he was the rebuilder of the temple. Hmm. Tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days, says Jesus. But the temple of which he spoke was his body, which we are his body, which has been rebuilt in three days through the resurrection, and we become the very dwelling place of God Almighty. So what this says in Zechariah, which, by the way, any of you that have ever studied grace and gone through Ellerslie knows the significance of the rebuilding of the temple and the concept of grace. 
Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, who thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. And then finally, Zechariah 12:10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. We're talking about the cross here. So you'll notice that so many of things just aim right back to Jesus and the cross. The grace in the Old Testament is not a huge deal. You know that grace, even in the, uh, the Gospels, when it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is only mentioned a few times? You know when grace kicks off in Scripture? It's a Pentecost. It's when the Spirit of God is given that suddenly this gospel of grace is made manifest. Okay? Grace in the New Testament. The person of grace strides onto the stage of time and reveals to us the power of grace. Luke 2.40, And the child grew, speaking of Jesus, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. What? What what is the grace of God on Jesus for? Didn't Jesus give grace? Isn't that how we are saved? He like died and then somehow he gives this gush of grace, like some type of river to us of grace. What's this? Why was the grace of God upon Jesus? He wouldn't need it. You know that Jesus lived by grace? The way that Jesus lived his sinless, perfect life was by the grace of God. He only did that which his father was doing. He only spoke that which his father was speaking. How did he do that? How did he live that life? Well, he lived it the same way you're called to live it. He just did it in perfection. He lived by grace. Great grace was upon Jesus. Isn't that strange? He's not just the one who made available grace to you. He lived by grace. The many shades of grace. So we're going to call the manifold grace of God. As every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You ever heard of the dispensation of grace? It's one of those confusing words because people talk about dispensations and it really gets confusing in Christianity. Dispensations, the word dispensation in the Greek goes back to the concept of a trust, a stewardship. You are given something to dispense it properly. Paul says that he was given the dispensation of grace. He was given the trust or the entrustment of grace. What have you been given? As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one unto another, as good dispensers of the dispensation. That's what it's saying right here. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, are you being a good steward of the trust of grace that you've been given? Some of you are going, I don't even know exactly that I have this gift. You see, I can say I have this gift of grace. And it is my responsibility to now dispense it in accordance with God's word. But let's understand this manifold grace of God. Because I think we've limited the grace of God. We've truncated, cut off its legs. And it can't move. It can't function the way it was meant to function in our Christian lives. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through ten folds. And by the way, there's more of them. I just ran out of time uh, over this weekend to do this message. So I'm going to go through ten folds in the fabric of grace. 
Ten shades, if you will, in the vast colorscape of grace. The God of all grace. The gospel of grace. The gift of grace in Christ. The dispensation of grace. The minister of grace. The work of grace. Empowering grace. The throne of grace. The spirit of grace. And the purpose of grace. There's just a lot of grace lingering in the New Testament. And it's not just a singular thing. A lot of us, as we go through this, you'll recognize that you've limited grace down to one of these ten folds. And it's not that you were wrong. It's just that if you lose the other nine, you're missing the equipment for living out this Christian life. And you're wondering, like, why doesn't my Christian life match with how the New Testament works? Well, it's because you need grace to do it. Without grace, you can't live the Christian life. Grace is what enables us and empowers us to actually do it. So unlocking the manifold wonder of grace. We're going to go through each of those ten things very briefly. First, the God of all grace. Who is this God of all grace? That's what he's called in 1 Peter 5.10. Well, that God of all grace is Jesus. The fullness of the deity dwelt in him. The God of all grace was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. He's grace incarnate. He lived by grace, revealed the power and perfection of grace, purchased us the access to the throne of grace, and then ultimately will make every knee bow before the God of all grace. He's he's grace. He's the God of all grace. It's personal. It's Jesus. So if we were talking about grace, one of the things we could talk about is just God. Who saves you? God. Not God's love or God's mercy or God's kindness, God saves you. And he's a God of all grace, which is why he did save you. The gospel of grace. In Acts 20, 24, it talks about the gospel of grace. So what is the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace is going to encapsulate and encompass all of the work. Remember that historic work that Jesus Christ came and did? He accomplished something, and therefore, when we speak to someone about the gospel of grace, we hearken back to the work of the God of grace when he actually came and took on bodily form. And then, taking on our skin, he lived as a man ought to live. How? By the grace of God, he lived it. And he lived it to perfection. And then he suffered in our stead because the penalty for sin is just. And we are under that penalty of sin. But he interposed for us and took and interceded in our position and bore the penalty for sin. He bore the wrath of God upon his head in his suffering, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the dispensation. See, I added the word dispensation in there and it shocked some of you as we were going through that. Like, what? That's the giving forth of the trust of the Spirit of God. We could call it the outpouring of the Spirit of God. But this is the gospel of grace. Jesus suffered on our behalf. He died on our behalf. He bore the penalty for our sin, the wrath of God. But he did more than that. When he died on that cross, he actually worked a death for us to sever us from the legal hold that the law of sin and death had over our life. And he set us free from an old life that we had with the flesh, the principle of sin controlling us. And when we are in Christ Jesus, we participate in this great work of the cross. His death is our death. His burial, our burial. His resurrection, our resurrection. His ascension, our ascension. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
We're where he is. And then what has he given us? What did he pour out? Grace. It was grace that saved us and then grace that came and made us able to live lives that otherwise we couldn't live. The gospel. God breaks through. There is an impediment. There is a barrier between us and God. The God of all grace. He has all grace, but guess what? We can't receive a bit of it. There's a legal barrier between us. We are lawfully under the control of sin and the wages of sin are lawfully due to us. There is a barrier between us and grace. We are under law. But Jesus breaks through the legal barrier. He makes an avenue of rescue. And suddenly the grace of God is made manifest to us and no longer we under law, but we are under the legal effects of what Jesus accomplished on that cross 2,000 years ago. The gospel of grace. What about the gift of grace in Christ? Romans 5.15 talks about that. Well, that's that which was legally purchased on the cross. So we have the historic event, which, by the way, is a manifestation of grace. That suffering, that cross, that burial, that resurrection, that ascension, that dispensation, that outpouring of the Spirit, that's a gift of grace. That is an expression of grace. That's a revelation of grace. And yet, what we have here is the gift of grace in Christ. That which was legally purchased on the cross that which clothes the sinner in the legal righteousness of the person of grace and makes a way for them to access the throne of grace in order to partake of grace for help in time of need. You know that you are a rebel. You are an unhealthy creature outside of God. And away from the grace of God, you have no hope in this world. You need to be saved by the grace of God. But there is a legal impediment between you and that grace. You're under the law and you violated it. And so therefore, because God is perfectly righteous and his law is perfectly righteous, you're guilty before the bar of justice. So God took, by the act of his grace, came and intersected our life in the course of history and demonstrated grace on that cross and legally removed the impediment that stood between us and God. However, say the legal impediment has been removed you still need something because all you have is a removal of guilt. You have forgiveness. Is that all that the cross came to give us? Is that the gospel of grace? Oh, there's so much more. You see, you have now been made, you have, the throne room of grace has now been made accessible so that you can now access the grace of God so that the way that Jesus lived by grace, the great grace was upon him, you can now have great grace. You can have grace to live out a life that otherwise would be impossible to live. And if you don't believe me, just wait till we go into the scriptures. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ. How was the grace of God given us? Well, it was given us in Christ. Jesus, before the world began. Now listen to this. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where do you find the grace of God? In Christ. See, it's not just a historic event, but we actually have access to this grace. We're not just saved by staring upon an historic event. We are saved by that historic event literally becoming our dressing, our clothing. And we come to Jesus Christ, and he is a doorway into his very person. He's known as a a strong tower, 
He's known as the robe of righteousness. And he clothes us with his life. And we are found in him. And in him is great grace. Strength of grace. We have grace in Christ Jesus. The dispensation of grace. In Ephesians 3.2, it talks about this dispensation. Which is the sacred entrustment of grace. That which is given to the saints to carry out the assignment of bringing the gospel of grace to the nations and to thus reveal the glory of the person of grace, Jesus Christ. Okay, how are you going to fulfill your commission? How are you going to pull this off? Because you've been given a dispensation of grace, a sacred trust. Do you know, do you see what happened upon that cross? You need to now dispense that and give that to the world. Paul had a burden upon his soul, a dispensation of grace, a stewardship, a trust that he was given, and he needed to give it to reveal the gospel of grace and thusly the person of grace, Jesus Christ. Paul calls himself a minister of grace in Ephesians 3.7. What's a minister of grace? Well, he's the chosen steward. He's the one that is chosen for the dispensation. And now he's the minister. He's the giver of grace, the one entrusted with the talents of grace. Remember all those parables about the talents of gold, all the trust that the king gives to his servants, he says, I give you this. Now, what does he measure them by? By how well they handle that trust. They have been given a trust of grace. See, all these parables are not just about money, as we oftentimes think. They're about grace. The graces of God that have been given to the saints to equip them and to enable them to live a life that otherwise they couldn't live. If you're given a talent of grace, what should you do with it? Invest it in the kingdom of heaven. Don't bury it. If you bury it, it's taken away from you. But if you invest it, you get much more. You see, uh, to whom uh, much is given, much is required. And if you prove faithful with little, you'll be given more. And that's the concept of the minister of grace. They're the chosen steward, the one entrusted with the talents of grace. The ones responsible to dispense the grace in all its manifold wonder under the glory of the God of all grace. And we have something called the work of grace. Galatians 5.18 and then 22 through 23. It's the fruition of grace laboring in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Such grace produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Actually, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The work of grace is the revelation of the person of grace that all the universe might behold his glory. All right. This is called the work of grace. If grace just worked on the cross and then it's done, that's it. Grace is done. Grace has been made manifest. Grace has just gotten started. That like started up the engine. You see, Jesus Christ wants to reveal something through you. His grace. But to do that, he needs to give you grace. To accomplish the revelation of his grace. And so what he does is he imparts himself to us to reveal love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the work of grace. Can you produce those things? No. You can't. They're foreign to us. So this is called the work of grace. The work of grace is not just the cross. It is also the sanctification of the saints, where we then reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenlies. I can't reveal that. I don't know about you. I don't have any ability to love as God loves, to have the joy of heaven. I can't do it. What do I need? I need grace. You see, I'm not just saved from hell by grace. I'm saved from my old man by grace. And I'm not just saved from my old man. I'm saved from a reprobate life 
living under the flesh. I'm saved from a mediocre existence, just showcasing the weakness of humanity and the cyclical pattern of defeat and sin. I am saved by grace through faith. And this was not of myself. This was a gift of God. Jesus. Jesus saves a man. Jesus is the work and the operation of grace. Empowering grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10 is a great symbol of empowering grace. Empowering grace, which is what we're going to spend most of the rest of our time on, is the enabling power of God to carry out the impossible errands of God on planet Earth. All right? God has given us a commission, and it's impossible. We cannot conceivably pull it off. You have been given a gift, a trust of this gospel of grace, of this great historic event that you need to somehow bring to this earth. You need to reveal the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control of God. You need to reveal it. Good luck. See, all of this great work of grace that Jesus has done, you cannot do it. What do you need? Well, you need, I know this sounds rather repetitive, you need grace. You can't do any of this without the grace of God. This whole thing, you noticed? It's all grace that saves. It's all a gift. None of it has worked. And all of it is necessary. It's called the manifold grace of God. It's the enabling power of God to carry out the impossible errands of God on planet Earth. See, we could easily look at Scripture and say, well, I can't do that. And you're right, you can't. He can. It's called grace. The throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. Well, the throne of grace, we could call it this, the holy of holies, the place of God, the seat of his presence and kingly authority, the shadow of the almighty, the place for help in time of need, the place of the person of grace. You know, the throne of grace didn't come into being when Jesus died on the cross and suddenly it became the throne of grace. It's like, well, now we have grace because Jesus finally died. No, God has always been grace. We were cut off from the grace of God because of sin. But now, because of the work of grace in Jesus Christ and the work of the cross, avenue has been made, known as the way unto the Father, which, by the way, is a man named Jesus too. Jesus is the way. It's, he's grace. He's grace that brings us unto the throne of grace. Well, why do we need the throne of grace? I'm fine. I have the cross. Because the cross made manifest and available to you everything you could need for life and godliness. You can still not live this life. You will live in defeat and mediocrity unless you come unto the throne of grace for help in time of need. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a time of need. Moment by moment, God has explained to me moment by moment in my life is a time of need. I, I need to be in that throne room all the time. He goes, eh, you're right. And he's made access. And we are to boldly access the throne room of grace. Boldly. How are we going to do that? We have no merit of our own. You have to be perfectly righteous to enter the throne room of grace. I don't know about you, but when I stand my life up against the law of God, I fall short. And even an errant thought, even a selfish motive is enough to cast me into eternal darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. Uh-oh. By the merit of Jesus Christ, I enter and I'm clothed in his perfection, his legal righteousness. He has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled all righteousness. There is no wrath upon me because I'm in Christ. It's satisfied. 
There's atonement that has been made for my sin. And therefore, by the grace of God, I can enter into the throne room of grace to get what? Grace. Not just grace that is clothing, mind you. Grace that makes me its clothing. And I become the house of grace. It lives within me. Grace clothes me. And then grace fills me. Now, if you've never heard about grace being something that actually enables you to live out the life that you cannot otherwise live, just wait. It's good. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, 29 and 2 Corinthians 5, 5. What is the spirit of grace? Well, I'm going to say that grace is not just Jesus. Grace is also the Holy Spirit. The God of all grace. The Father is, could be called the Father of grace. Jesus could be the dispenser of grace, the one who purchased grace and the opportunity legally broke through the barrier to enable us to access grace. Well, then what is the Holy Spirit? The one who administers grace. In person, he does it. Because the Holy Spirit is the work of grace in us. So it's the deposit, the earnest, the guarantee of the promise, the Holy Spirit of God, grace in spirit form, the life of Jesus Christ imparted. Remember Jesus' grace? Well, this is the life of Jesus imparted, that very life of grace imparted to us, to live inside of us. The purpose of grace, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to this grace, this grace desires to accomplish something, and that is that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the God of all grace, would be glorified in us, and us in him. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Us in Christ, and Christ in us. This is the purpose of grace. This is what grace does. Grace establishes us in the work of Christ which is what the cross did, which is what Jesus did by becoming literally a baby and growing up and living a sinless life. He lived out what grace intends to accomplish, and then he accomplished it on the cross, the gospel of grace. But the gospel of grace is not just the cross. It's not just a man dying and whispering forgiveness on us all. It is a, it's a man dying being buried and then resurrecting and ascending and being exalted above all other names, all things under his feet. And what has he made available in himself but access under the throne room of grace? And now that which is within the throne room of grace, which, by the way, is pretty impressive, it's called the God of all grace, has a delight to give. If you ask, he will give you the Spirit. He will give you grace for help in time of need. And everything you need for life and godliness is available to you in Christ Jesus. So when you are glorified in Christ, the name of Jesus is glorified in Christ, when you're in Christ. And when then Christ is glorified by being in you, you have the work of grace being accomplished on this earth. The power of grace revealed. But by the grace of God. Now listen, this is, remember I talked about empowering grace? A lot of us just have grace being a hug. But God doesn't intend to actually have us live out a triumphant life, an overcoming life. It's like, pff, that's ridiculous. Anyone who teaches or preaches about a triumphant, victorious life is, you know, definitely 
has never actually lived the Christian life. They'll find out sooner or later, you just can't live out this life. Any of you have ever had that thought? I know what your experience may tell you. Your experience may show defeat. I don't really care what your experience says. I care what the Bible says. I don't believe in your experience. I believe in the word of God. I believe in Jesus Christ. By the way, isn't that what Christians do? We believe in Jesus Christ, not in our experience. We don't doubt the word and believe ourselves. We believe the word of God and doubt everything else. Turn a fishy eye towards anything that would doubt the word of God. Satan in the garden says, did God really say? What's our answer? Yep, he did. And we believe it. So listen to this. You want to know what grace is according to the Bible? Listen to this. This is the life of grace. This is the God of grace being made manifest to us. And you'll notice this isn't a hug around the shoulders. This isn't God just covering over a multitude of sins. This is God taking a messed up life, transforming it, taking it out of the mud, sticking its feet upon a rock, sticking in the power of God and enabling it to do that which would otherwise be impossible. So let's start in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So what made Paul what he is? The grace of God. So that's the entire context of this line. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So, Paul labored more abundantly than all the others. How? By grace. This isn't just a hug of God. This is power. This is impetus. This is life. God saves us. Not just from the penalties of sin, but from the weakness of our sinful existence so that we can actually exhibit to the heavenlies the way God is. That's what we are. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit to reveal the glory of God. I know we can't do it. He can. It's a work of grace. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We don't muster this up. We believe. We allow him to do it. So grace is given that we might labor more abundantly. Doesn't sound like a hug to me. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Oh, that's nice. Why is he going to make all grace abound towards you? That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Oh, we don't want to do any good works because that would be legalism. Well, the grace of God has been given you so that you could abound to every good work. You see, if you were trying to do the work of God without the grace of God, that's legalism. But when you are empowered by the Spirit of God to live out the life that Christ has called you to, that's Christianity. And you will abound to every good work. Nothing wrong with doing good work, by the way. Just make sure that the reason you're doing it is right. And the power source from which you're drawing your strength from is Jesus. He makes men and women that change the world. So grace is given that we may have sufficiency in all things. Grace is given that we may abound to every good work. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Why did we receive it? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So grace is given for obedience to the faith. You ever wondered how you're going to stay obedient to the faith? Well, I have a secret for you. It's called grace. 
Grace is how you'll do it. You see, you need this grace to live out this impossible life. We don't have obedience to the faith, do we? What does it say in uh, prone to wander? What's, the, what's that uh, uh, hymn? Come thou fount, is it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Uh, prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, we're all there. That's our natural disposition. That's the old man. That's the flesh life. We are saved from this by grace. And then we're empowered by grace for obedience to the faith. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Okay, in the context of this, in the book of Acts, do you think it's talking about great big hugs were being uh, doled out by God? No. You see, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the context, you would understand that to be with this next line, and great grace was upon them all. What is a part of that great grace? Great power. Great power is just one of the elements of great grace. You have power. You have virtue. You have ability. You have long-suffering. You have endurance for the most difficult things. You have joy for the prison cells. That's great grace that was upon them all. One of the attributes is great power. Grace is given as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to the grace of God, so what was his method here? What, by what strength source was he using? The grace of God, which is given unto me, says Paul, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. So the grace of God was given to Paul that he, grace is given in order that we may lay foundations. You want to be a man or a woman who can disciple and lay a foundation in your home or in other Christian lives? What do you need? Same thing Paul needed. How was he a master builder? He needed grace. He didn't just need hugs because he was a messed up sinner. That's just one wrinkle, one fold of the manifold grace of God. We have stymied the forward progression of what God intends to do in our life because we've diminished grace down to be forgiveness of messed up people. I want you to know that that is an attribute of grace, and it's an amazing quality, but God loves us too much to leave us there. And the God of all grace is not satisfied. As the God of all grace, the God of all ability to reveal righteousness, and he's, that's all he's going to do. The cross has done a lot more. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Why was it given? That I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You want to be a preacher of the gospel? The unsearchable riches of Christ? What do you need? You need the same thing Paul had. Grace is given for preaching among the Gentiles. And that's not a hug. That's power. That's virtue. That's enablement. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace is given as our means of help in time of need. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So what do we need? Grace is given whereby we may serve God acceptably. You ever wanted to serve God acceptably? Yeah, I would. What do you need? Grace. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So what's the God of all grace up to? Grace is given to make us perfect. Grace is given to establish us. Grace is given to strengthen us. And grace is given to settle us. 
I could use those things. I have a hunch you could too. I want the God of all grace to be fully manifest in my life. And you know what? Thanks to Jesus Christ, the person of grace, who came and, and worked the great work of grace upon that cross, he has brought me under the throne of grace, and he wants to do another work of grace in me. He wants to reveal his fruit and his life in and through me. And he wants to establish me, strengthen me, and settle me in him, in his life, in his glory, in his truth. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen to this. Just meditate upon this. Grace is given to save us. By the way, that's not just a hug. If you're being saved from something, see, most of us just have Christianity baked down to saving us from the pit of hell. We don't recognize that we're living in a hell here and that we are stuck under the effects of sin and all the briar patches that come with it. And in every moment, we are being commissioned to love as Jesus loves and we don't have the ability to do it. So what saves us from our destitute state? Grace. Grace is given to save us. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. How, how did the, the believers believe in Achaia? How did they believe? They believed through grace, which is just a fascinating thought. Grace is given to enable others to believe in Jesus Christ. So here you are, you're given this dispensation, this trust of grace. Well, to carry out your commission, you need the impartation of grace. You need the Spirit of God to dwell within you, to enable you to preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. But for those Gentiles to even hear the gospel, what do they need? Grace. Without grace, we can do nothing in this whole gospel schematic. The whole thing hinges upon grace. For them to believe, for you to preach, for you to comprehend, for you to be saved, for you to be brought to the throne of grace. This is more than saving us from hell. This is enabling our lives to begin to function as they were intended by God to function. And what sin messed up, God has made right. And he has made himself available to us once again in the person of Jesus Christ. The God of all grace has been made available. You have no excuse for living in sin. None. I know it's your natural disposition, but have you ever heard of the cross? Have you ever heard what has been accomplished on your behalf? That you, by turning unto Jesus and turning away from your filth and your flesh in this world, by turning away and repenting and turning unto Jesus Christ, the God of all grace, that you will access grace instead of the penalty of law? That you, instead of being under law, because you sinned, you die. Because you believe, you live. That's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because you believe, you live. That's a better law. I like it a lot better. Because you believe, you live. Ephesians chapter 3, Unlocking the Mystery of Grace. Today I'm going to read through an entire chapter of the book of Ephesians. It's not that long, don't worry. Now everything you've just heard, watch. Ephesians 3 is a picture of the manifold grace of God. Watch. Ephesians 3, For this cause I, Paul, 
the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. In other words, I was given this trust for you so that I could give you grace, which is given to me you word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul has knowledge in what's called the mystery of Christ. In Colossians, it says, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed. So Paul is referring to the same mystery. Paul refers to this about, in three, I think it's three different books in the New Testament. He refers, maybe even four different books in the New Testament. He refers to this mystery that he has been entrusted with. So when it talks about the dispensation of grace, he then refers to his trust of this mystery. They're the same thing. It's grace. As I wrote you a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy prophets and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. How was he made a minister? By the effectual working of God's power, which is grace. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So there's this mystery that has been hidden. However, it's been hidden in God. And did you know that it's been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ, making a very clear statement, Jesus has been a part of this whole mystery from the beginning. Jesus, in a sense, is the mystery, but the mystery is grace, but it's more specific than that. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We have boldness and access unto what? The throne of grace. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, listen to this, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. When you read Colossians and you hear about the mystery and what Paul enunciates the mystery to be, that will make a whole bunch more sense. It's grace. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. Well, you know what? Most of us dream of things like that in heaven. However, this is the great mystery unfolding. This is the work of grace. He is the dispenser of this grace. He has been given a sacred trust, and what is he doing it? For them, that they would see these things, that they would understand, and they would be able to comprehend, they'd be grounded in love, being rooted and grounded in love. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
and be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How did that get left out of our gospel? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. That's a great statement of the modern church, isn't it? In light of this conversation. Hey guys, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see, we haven't thought very big thoughts, have we? God goes far beyond it. According to the power that worketh in us. Do you have a power working in you? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Wow. There's something that has been hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed. There is something that God had purposed eternally in Christ Jesus that has now been unlocked. It has now been opened up. There is access unto the throne room of grace and access, get this, for the throne room of grace to enter us. You know that we become, in essence, the mobile throne room of grace, the mobile holy of holies? We are brought near by the blood of Jesus into the throne room of grace so that that very God of grace can enter into us and make our bodies his very throne room. And we become a mobile throne room of grace for those around us when they have time of need and they need help. And we become ministers of grace. And if anyone asks us where we got this grace from, we have the gospel of grace just waiting on our lips. We are ready in season and out of season to give an answer. Is grace merely a divine hug? Hmm. Or could it be that it is so very much more? Grace is given that we might labor more abundantly. Grace is given that we may have sufficiency in all things. Grace is given that we may abound to every good work. Grace is given for obedience to the faith. Grace is given as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus. Grace is given in order that we may lay foundations. Grace is given for preaching among the Gentiles. Grace is given as our means of help in time of need. Grace is given whereby we may serve God acceptably. Grace is given to make us perfect. Grace is given to establish us. Grace is given to strengthen us. Grace is given to settle us. Grace is given to save us. Grace is given to enable others to believe in Jesus Christ. Um, I, for one, don't want to leave that behind when I go out to serve Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved by the work of the cross and that work of grace. But there is more work that grace desires to do. See, that work of grace opened up access unto the great work of grace in the believer. He made access for us under the throne room of grace that all that is available, the grace of God that is available in the throne, the very spirit of God himself, the very life of Christ may be deposited into us and we may live by grace the same way Jesus did. That we might reveal the manifold wisdom of God unto the heavenlies as the church of Jesus Christ. It's our commission. I don't know how well we're performing in our commission, but I know what we need to do it. We need grace. And that grace has been made manifest to us in Christ Jesus. Embracing the power of grace. Colossians 1, 23 through 29. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, 
whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister. Remember this concept of him being a minister. What's he a minister of? Well, he's a minister of the gospel, but he's a minister of, more specifically, the gospel of grace, and in other times you could say he's a minister of grace. He's a minister of something. He's a minister of the very same thing Jesus Christ came to give. Jesus gave it as a big M minister. We're like little M ministers. And the work that was done in Jesus was God. Jesus is God. The work that is done in us isn't us. It's God in us. That is the hope of any benefit coming out of our life. That's the great secret. And Paul's made a minister of this thing that we're about to read about. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Sounds very similar to Ephesians 3, doesn't it? Yeah, but this is Colossians. To fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. It sounds like he's quoting Ephesians 3. But now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, listen to this, this is the mystery. Paul actually defines the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, not just you in Christ and having access to eternal life in Christ Jesus, but now Christ being in you, the hope of the church revealing the glory of God. There is a hope of glory in this earth, and it is Christ, the very person of grace, being in us, It's the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to the saints. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Listen to this last line. Whereunto I also labor. So remember what that, the context is for whereunto I also labor. What is it? To be a minister of this dispensation of grace, of this mystery, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He has laboring for this, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. It's one of the strangest grammatical statements. Let's read it again. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. Who's working? God's working. Which works in me mightily. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's grace. How did Paul do what Paul did? By grace. How did Jesus do what he did? By grace. Now, I know Jesus is God, but Jesus, as God, limited himself to behave as a man and became dependent upon the God of all grace to show us an example of how a human life is supposed to live, wholly dependent upon the grace of God to perform what only God can perform in and through a man. Of course, he did it perfectly. He was God. But he set forth a pattern for us. And we're supposed to look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, you accomplished and removed the barrier, the legal barrier between me and the God of all grace. He says, yes, I'm your clothing. I'm the perfect life that you haven't lived. Get inside of me and I'll be your clothing. I'll invite you into the throne room of grace. He's called the way unto the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we come into him and he brings us to the Father to the God of all grace, to the throne of grace. And the Father has grace to give. I always call it the treasury of grace, the big treasure chest. Open it up and just have at it. 
Take whatever you desire. The fruit of the Spirit is grace. You know, there's scriptures in the Bible that talk about the graces of God. There's so many manifold dimensions to this grace. It's the life of God, the virtue of God, the action of God, the power of God given to enable us. Does it include a hug? It does. That God loves us even while we were yet sinners. He's grace. But he doesn't leave us as sinners. He sets us free from the bondages of sin so that we may live as saints, which means the set apart, the sanctified, those removed from the system of the world. What, who was the manifold, or who was the mystery revealed to? The saints. Those that were set apart are now partaking of this vast mystery which has been hidden for ages and generations in Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozier, deity indwelling men. That is Christianity in its fullest effectuation. And even those greater glories of the world to come will be in essence but a greater and more perfect experience of the soul's union with God. Deity indwelling men. That, I say, is Christianity. And no man has experienced rightly the power of Christian belief until he has known this for himself as a living reality. Everything else is preliminary to this. Incarnation, atonement, justification, regeneration. What are these but acts of God preparatory to the work of invading and the act of indwelling the redeemed human soul? Grace. The work of grace. The purpose of grace. He ever lives to give grace. Oh, I love this thought. What a great meditation to finish on. He ever lives to give grace. He's the God of all grace. He's always been. You see, the throne of grace wasn't invented when Jesus rose from the dead and he was exalted to the right hand and Jesus said, can we turn this into the throne of grace now? It had always been the throne of grace. It was always the place that was ready to give forth grace, but there was an impediment. We weren't able to receive it. So Jesus has made the way for us to receive it. How do we receive grace? Where do we receive grace? In Christ Jesus. So when we enter into Christ, when we believe in Christ and we allow him to be our shield, we allow him to be our righteousness, we allow him to be our hope, our confidence is in his work, guess what? We now have access in Christ unto that great throne room that's always been there. And it's always been full of grace. Always. Grace didn't just kick off in the New Testament. Grace has always been there. And now, instead of being under law, we're under grace. Legally speaking, we can appeal to the righteousness of Christ. And we are under grace. We are under the shadow of it. We are adopted into the family of it. He ever lives to give grace. He didn't just have one great work on the cross. Now, that one great work gave us access unto him. But guess what? He's still working. You know that Jesus goes to work every day? He's still doing the business of the Father, which is the business of grace, by the way. I don't know if it would be called Grace Unlimited. It's a good business name for Jesus and the Father. The Father's business. You ever known what it's called? There's our name for it, Grace Unlimited. And so the G- Jesus is always about doing the work of the Father, even though he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know that he's doing something? He's not just playing cards, you know, up there, you know, just twiddling his thumbs going, how long? Is it going to be? He's up to something. He's doing something. What's he doing? Well, he ever lives to give grace. Wherefore, he is, speaking of Jesus, able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. You know, we start out and we're saved. Yeah, but we're not saved to the uttermost yet. 
There's a lot more work that needs to be taking place inside of our souls. And every single one of us that has been around the block know that. So guess what Jesus is able to do? He's able to save us to the uttermost. Now listen to this. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. You see, he is your advocate. And he ever lives to be your advocate. He ever lives to stand for you. Now he stood for us on the cross. You know that he ever lives to stand for us that way? The same love that he exuded on the cross towards us is the same love he has for us right now. He's saying, I'd like to stand for you. I'd like to interpose my strength for you. I would like to give you all the resources that I have so you can live in this moment and walk away from that temptation. I would like to do this on your behalf. What's that called? It's called grace. He ever lives to give it. Are we willing to receive it? You see, when you truncate the notions of grace, you lose the fact that God did more than just die and whisper forgiveness on us all. God died to give us access unto the throne room of grace so that we could have help in time of need, which, by the way, is 24-7 for the rest of our life, so that we could be saved in every moment, not just saved from eternal punishment, but we could be saved in every moment to live the life that we were called of God to live. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.